everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Entree Pastors podcast. My name is John Sanders. I am one of the co-founders of Entree Pastors and uh, thrilled to be back in the studio with you this week. Last week you heard a lot from my co-host and fellow co-founder Les Hughes and I'm excited to be back setting up some interviews for you this week. So we've got uh, a great week in stores. We continue our daily podcasts We've been experimenting with some different types of content, and uh, this week I'm going to bring some interviews that are kind of middle of the road. What I mean by that is in terms of length of time, not quality. Um, we've got some shorter interviews coming your way, maybe a little bit longer than the short-form content that we've been trying to produce, but not quite as long as our normal Friday episodes, if that makes sense. So I want to get out of the way as quickly as possible just to get right down to business. We're titling this episode, The Ministry and Business of Counseling. And you're going to hear from our guest, Robert Grice, that uh, Les and I had uh, the privilege of interviewing a few weeks ago. And he is not only a pastor, but he also has really honed his skill in counseling and has developed an additional stream of income for his family through counseling. And in addition to that, has also opened up some really cool doors of ministry that maybe he would not have otherwise had just strictly in the pastor role. So we think this is a great fit for many pastors who have a skill set and a desire and a, you know an interest, a passion around counseling other people. You're definitely going to want to lean into this and see how you could do some of those things that are normally kind of just expected as part of your J-O-B as a pastor, and just package them a little bit differently and uh, create a source of revenue around something that you're already spending a great deal of time and energy doing likely anyway. So this is a good conversation. Without any further ado, check this out with Robert Grice. Here we go. Well, Robert, it is our pleasure to welcome you to the Entree Pastors Podcast, man. Welcome to the big show. Well, thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Give us a little bit of an introduction to the work that you do uh, in ministry, and then we'll kind of get into some of the stuff you do outside of pastoral ministry. But tell us a little bit about your journey into the church world. Well, I grew up in the home of a pastor, and uh, the one thing I promised myself I would never do was work in a church when I left home. Uh, but you know how, how that goes. And so eventually I ended up working on staff at a church for a few years. I uh, left that to go uh, teach school and I was going through graduate school at the time. So uh, I uh, taught school for 15 years and then um, a church approached me because their pastor was re- uh, retiring and they asked me if I I would fill in for a while. I said, sure. And so I filled in and before long, they said, why don't you just stay? Mm. And so I've been there ever since. So it's a small church. Uh, the church was the, I followed the founding pastor and he, he started it in the early seventies. Um, it's, uh, the background, the church was Presbyterian, uh, got involved in the charismatic movement. So, it's kind of a, I don't know what that hybrid would be, but it's kind of that. Okay. So how many years ago was that, that you took over as pastor oh. of the church? Uh, 2015. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So tell us then about the work that you do outside of the church and we'll unpack that a little bit. Okay. I am a licensed professional counselor in the state of Alabama. I, um, went to school, um, and got my master's at Troy State, 
Uh, following that, I went to uh, Liberty University and got my doctorate in counseling from there. And um, so I've always, even as a young fellow, I felt like I was called to do something in counseling. Uh, primarily, I felt like it was going to be involved in marriage counseling. Um, and so uh, after I, I stopped teaching school and started working at the church, it's just a part-time thing because they can't really afford full-time. Sure. And um, so I explored getting my license, finished getting my license, and I started counseling. And um, I had my own little practice for about two years, and then I was approached by uh, Wiregrass Angel House to come on board and be their counselor, uh, working with the, well, do you want me going into it now since I'm in that deep? Yeah, keep going. That's that's fine. Okay. Uh, I work with the family members of homicide victims and victims of violent crimes. Uh, we also are working with the families of suicides, suicide victims. So I do a lot of grief counseling now, a lot of uh, trauma-oriented counseling now. Um I, I do my other counseling at night where I, I work exclusively with couples at night. And um, so between those two things, and I teach for Liberty University uh, on the side in the counseling graduate counseling program. So I heard you say earlier that you felt like it was a calling, like even from a younger age, you felt uh, a sense of calling toward the counseling thing. This will be a good question for many pastors especially when the the work they do outside the church sometimes looks a lot like the same work they do inside the church. There's a real struggle for like, how do I monetize this? Because on the inside of the church, some of this is just expected as part of my role as a pastor. And then now I have, you know, like a coaching business or maybe counseling, something like that. It, it, it's a little easier maybe if you can totally separate the work out and say, you know, I run a lawn care business over here that doesn't quite as feel as much like pastoral ministry but for mm -hmm. counseling that's a really good example of a, an area where you're using a lot of the same skill set that you use inside the church how how was that for you to basically and this isn't coming from a place of judgment we're celebrating this i want you to know that you're not getting set up here um so how did you approach that was there any struggle for you to like switch gears and go i'm doing this for an income over here outside the church, but then in the church world, there's, you know, this is also kind of part of what I do there. Does that make sense? What I'm asking you to speak sure, to there? Sure. How do, how do I keep them separate? Yeah. Uh, the, the, well, a couple of things. One thing is I do not cancel. I don't have an office at the church. Okay. Uh, I have an office at home, but I don't meet with people here. All my counseling is done offsite. Uh, I have a, well, I have the Angel House office, but also have a, a office at another facility in, in our area that is a counseling facility. And so I have an office there that I rent, and I meet with people at night there. Uh, my print my thing that I did was if I meet with someone from the church who's an active member of the church, I don't not one of those who join and hadn't been in 30 years, yep. but an active member, I don't charge him. Okay. And so um, now sometimes they may want to give a donation. That's fine. I don't ask for it, but if they want to give it, I'll accept it. But the way I keep it separate was is not doing it on site and not charging church members gotcha. when they come. 
And yeah, I've personally, I've always, when I was pastoring full time, I've at times felt like I, I never minded sitting down and having a pastoral conversation with anybody. Uh, but when it mm-hmm. turned into like that ongoing, you know, man, we really need ongoing weekly marriage counseling or something like that. For one, I didn't always feel like it was energizing to me. Therefore, like to me, that was kind of an indicator. It might not have been in my, you know, in my best gifting to, to be using it, my time sure. that way. But also, I felt a little resentful, maybe like that. That was just expected, like to to just meet weekly. And I've I've met a lot of pastors that kind of have a principle or something similar to this, where it's like they'll meet with somebody a few times, and then if there's need for ongoing counseling, it's either they're being referred to someone that does that professionally, or mm-hmm. you know, again, if if they themselves do it professionally, it's we can do this, but this is going to be more in this professional realm like that. So I'm not prescribing that there's a one size fits all manner. I just didn't know how that worked for you to kind of work through that issue. Cause we, we find a lot of pastors kind of bump into that of how can I charge for the very thing that I'm expected to do kind of for free or as a part of my big salary over here in the church world. Yeah. Well, actually I just, my opinion, I think that because I do most of that kind of counseling offsite in this other agency, that to get to me, they have to go through the agency. Mm. And so sometimes the agency, I'll tell the agency just if they want to pay, that's okay. If they don't, they're church members. I'm not going to require it. So I let the office deal with the money. There you go. And uh, in fact, that's the one reason why I went to that office. I did not want to deal with money. I did not want to deal with paperwork. And so they do it all for me. And um, so I just let them handle the money side of it. That's Part a good most- way. Yeah, John, that's that's really something good for a lot of people that are probably listening. Robert, that's one question that we get. And I think uh, where where a lot of guys feel some of that cringe factor is that they're handling it themselves rather mm-hmm. than I can see the wisdom of bringing in some sort of third person or third party to do that, even if you're doing it just at, not even as a part of, of something bigger or an agency, but just to have that buffer, even mm-hmm. if it's a personal assistant or a virtual assistant. Yeah. I mean, there are services that do that, but I can see the value and the, and the wisdom of doing that. Just for That's for a lot of people that may not think that it's possible. It's either, it's either one extreme or the other, but there is um, sort of a hybrid where you can take that personal contact with the monetary side out of it. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Tell us the story a little bit. I'm curious to hear, how did you find a niche in really counseling people, victims or family members of of homicides and suicide? Like that, to me, seems like a very specialized field. And, and in our world, sometimes like building an online business, we often hear the advice and the wisdom of like niching down and having a very clear target of who you're serving that that would be a great example of that. So tell me that story. How did you get into serving people that are in that situation? Uh, the Lord made me do it. Okay, I like that. Because <laughs> I promised myself when I first went into counseling, I said, you know, they always encouraged us to niche if we could. And my niche was I was going to go in marriage and family. Of course, I didn't realize everybody in town was doing marriage and family. Mm. But um, I... um. For me, I always promised myself I would never go into grief counseling. I never wanted to do it. Uh, and the reason I didn't want to do it is I did not see an uh, upside to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no one that can ever 
stand up in prayer meeting, raise their hand and say, I just want to testify I'm five years post grief. Mm. Now they can stand up and say, I'm five years sober. Mm. And so there's no win factor to it other than getting the person to the place where they can function again, but you're getting them through something they never want to revisit. (laughs) And so it's, uh, it's the kind of counseling that you really have to search for a payoff to do it. Um, but for me, I promised myself I would never do it. And, um, for many years I didn't do it. Uh, but it was in, uh, 2013, our son-in-law was killed in a car wreck. Mm. 25. Wow. And I, uh, walked through that knowing nothing about grief. My family walked through it and it was just horrible. And I remember one day sitting on the couch saying, if I can ever help anybody get through this, I'll do it. Mm. And that opened the door. Folks started coming to me. I didn't know and wanting grief counseling. And so I said, okay, well, and so I did what I could, but I really had to, to expand my own skill set. I had to study more. I had to take some classes. I had to do some things and it, it just turned out that the, um, the nat- and that was around the time I was getting my own practice going, that the nature of most of my clients were grief clients. They were grieving something. Mm. And so I did that. And then when this opened up at uh, Angel House, it was just like a natural fit. And I, I just, and I discovered about myself that that kind of counseling, that trauma type counseling fit my style the best. Because my my personal theoretical orientation, I used to always say I was cognitive behavioral. I, I know it's a big word, but it just means that people's primary problems are due to their thoughts. But I found that I'm probably more accurately a solution-focused counselor, which is what you need in trauma. Because the temptation in trauma counseling is for the counselor to get sucked into the grief. And then if they ever get sucked into the grief, counseling is over. Mm. Uh, basically, what you'll have then is just a mutual pity party. Yeah. So if you're into uh, something like solution focus, my goal is to get the client when they come in, which is usually on the heels of a, a murder or or something along those lines, and their life is just crazy and everything else. My first thing that I want to do is get them to a place where they feel safe and then get them to a place where they can start calming themselves. And then we're going to move through uh, some some pretty easy steps to hopefully within three or four visits, get them to the place they can function again. I tell them I want to get you through three phases. If I can do this, I'll feel like we've had success. One, I want you to accept what happened, Mm. which some of them takes a while to do it. Number two, I want you to adjust to what happened, which means there are some things you've just got to do now that that person's gone that you don't want to do. It's going to be paperwork. There's going to be changes in the family. It's going to be all this, and you'll want to put it off because to do that means you're admitting it's over. Mm. And then the third thing I want you to do is to adapt to what happened. And that means you start living again. You've got to get your routines going again because there's power in routines. Routines create a sense of stability and predictability, which actually helps them get through that phase 
because it helps to normalize what happened. And they cannot process trauma until they can normalize. Yeah. You know, I'm so that's how I got into it. I work as a firefighter and, and uh, have a little bit of experience in like the realm of peer support, that world of, you know, mental health, helping our own. Um, I'm not a licensed or certified anything, um, but I've done a little bit of research and, and listened to a lot of content around that. And I've heard many stories of like first responders seeking counseling often through like their EAP, you know, um, and if it's not the right kind of counselor that a counselor that's really trained it's not an uncommon thing to hear stories of the counselors sitting there in tears as this mm -hmm. you know first responders unloading these tra traumatic things and it's like we're traumatizing the counselors with some of our stories and so it's it's almost that you know you, that just made me think of that when you were sharing that you know mm -hmm. mutual pity party instead of actually leading them toward a a result I've, one question we ask a lot of times in our business builders community is because I want to keep this in front of pastors who are involved in marketplace activities business. And this is kind of an easy question for you, but we ask the question, you know, how has God used my business as a platform for ministry in the past month or whatever? It's kind of a regular check-in question we ask in our business builders group. So the question I'm going to ask you is similar. Like, how like give me an example of some ministry opportunities that you've had through your counseling um that are just as effective as ministry you would have had from behind a pulpit or inside a church office what goes through your mind when you hear that question uh well i had a a young lady recently who i'd only spoken to over the phone about a year ago and last christmas her boyfriend came in and, and laid his head beside her. And he, when she looked up and opened her eyes to look at him, he pulled out a gun and shot himself in the head. Mm. And so she had been dealing with that for a year and, uh, had no one to talk to. She wouldn't, she never contacted me after that first phone call, but her family doesn't want to hear it. She doesn't have friends who want to hear it. Everyone's tired of it. And, um, so she said, um, I've got to have some help. And so I gave her, um, I, I said, well, why don't you come in and let's talk? And so she came in and was um, very upset when she first came through the door. Couldn't hardly talk, shaking, everything else. And I just, I set her down and, and we just started talking a little bit. And I gave, talked to her, gave her some recommendations. I led her through some calming exercises. But then I started talking to her about her faith, which she didn't have much of. But I started telling her, you know, uh, God can help you get through this if you'll let him. And so I encouraged her to reach out to her pastor again because she hadn't been to church in years. And, and consider as part of her recovery, going back to church and, and made some other recommendations. And when we were done, she looked at me, she said, this is the best I've felt in months. Mm. And she said, can I give you a hug? <laughs> and I mm. said, okay. And she gave me a hug. And she said, I feel so much better having been here. Now for me, that's a victory. Yeah. You know, like I said, I don't get the post five years. I'm five years post grief. So I have to take the little ones like that. So for me, that's a, that was a victory. I had another couple that I, I saw a few months ago. And when I saw them, they were about to get a divorce. 
Um, I don't even remember everything we said, to be honest, because I hadn't seen him in three or four months, but I saw him just this past week. And um, they said, we want to thank you because what you told us that night, we actually went home and started doing. And we're in the best place now as a couple we've ever been. It's awesome. Divorce is off the table. That's awesome. And so for me, that's a victory. Um, and to me, that's doing my part to spread the kingdom. Because what I do when I when I meet with them, and that's part of my solution focus thing, is I try to get them around to truth. Because all truth is God's truth. Amen. And so I try to get them around it to truth. And these were church going people, but they were relating to each other in ways that were contrary to the truth. Mm-hmm. And so I get them around the truth. I encourage them to start implementing the truth. And guess what? The truth works. Yeah. And knew? so that's kind of my way of using counseling to say uh, that's a ministry. Yeah. Because and see progress. Because I'm not the kind of person, and I tell every one of them, I'm not building a career off of your case. Uh, I'll see you three or four times, and that's going to be it. If we hadn't made progress in three or four times, you're not going to make any progress. No. And and so, I when I get these reports back of you know things are going better for me, that's that's ministry success. I love it. Let me ask you one more question, um, and I appreciate your time and pouring into our community here today. Speak to that pastor that's listening to this, and maybe for them, counseling isn't the thing. You know, they may have a different uh, area of interest or passion or skill set that they want to lean into, but they're still questioning. You know, what does it look like for me to be out in the marketplace doing something? You know, for myself as a business or whatever. And what what would you say if you had a minute just to encourage that pastor and to speak some truth into their life? I'll let you speak to that, and we'll wrap things up here. Okay. My encouragement is do it. Just do it. Uh, for one thing, you know, there used to be somewhat of a stigma to, uh, on pastors if they had to do an extra job or if they were bivocational or whatever. I think those days are gone for most people. Uh, figure out what it is God's gifted you to do and go do it. Uh, I personally would never again want to be 100% reliant on the church. Yeah. That's just, that's just me. I would never encourage anyone to be 100% reliant on the church, figure out how God can use you in the marketplace, whatever it is. And, and like you said, if, if they're not called and gifted in counseling, by all good because you'll end up causing more harm than you'll help. Yeah. But uh, figure out what it is that God's equipped you to do and go do that because everyone's different. Everyone has their, their skill set and everyone can do whatever it is God called them to do. And plus, and this would be the second thing I'd say on that, that will help them stay in tune with what's going on in the lives of their congregation. Yeah. Because these are people who are in the marketplace and they can, since they'll be in it with them, they'll be able to see what's going on and read what's going on and be able to address what's going on. And so I would, by all means, encourage them to go for it. 
Love that. Whatever it is. I love that. Well, thank you for your in- words of encouragement and just sharing your story with us. And uh, we'll uh, we'll share this with our audience. And I know it's going to be a, a positive voice for some listening out there. So thank you so much, Robert. We appreciate All right. it. I'd love it. Thank you. Well, there you go. Good stuff from Robert Grice. Guys, thank you for taking the time to tune in and listen to this week's episode. Before I sign off today, I just want to bring to your attention one more time our Entree Pastors live event, our Business Builders Boot Camp coming up on March 8th, 2024, down in Birmingham, Alabama at Les Hughes' estate at his residence. We're going to have a great time hanging out with a pretty small group of pastors. We're limiting it to 30 seats total, so that's what I mean when I say small group. There still are some tickets available. If you want to come and be a part of that, it's $97 for the day. It's a Friday, March 8th, all day that we're going to hang out together. For those of you that are involved at any level of our membership communities, whether that's our Pastors Business Alliance or our Business Builders community, uh, you're going to be invited to a special VIP dinner the night before on March 7th. That Thursday evening, we're going to hang out and uh, have a great time together. So if you are interested in learning more about that event or getting registered, I'm going to invite you to go to entrepastors.com forward slash live to get signed up for that. We'd love to have you come and hang out with us, get to shake your hand, give you a hug, whatever you're into, and uh, spend a great time hanging out, getting to know each other a little bit better, and really helping you get dialed in on a clear business idea and the strategy that you need to move forward as you launch that business alongside of your pastoral work, if that's what you're into right now. So I think that's going to do it for today. I want to say thank you guys for tuning in. Appreciate all of you. If there's anything that I can do to be of service to you or less, feel free to reach out to either one of us. Just go to entrepastors.com and you'll be able to connect with us right through there. So God bless everybody. We will see you back here tomorrow. We'll talk soon. Mm-hmm.